and the rest of us get into the Word of God. Uh, so two weeks ago, we did an introduction to the Old Testament, and I told my dad uh, what I'd like to do today is a review of that first, because that was a lot of information, and the Old Testament's big, so we're going we're gonna to do a good review of that, and then we'll do part two, which will be an overview of the New Testament. So, uh, Brother Franklin, if you could put my... There we go. There's the books of the Bible in the various categories. So, just quickly here for review. The, uh, the first five books are called the books of Moses. They're called the Pentateuch, or sometimes the Law. Uh, these were written predominantly by Moses. Uh, there's some things that were probably added later, like it records the death of Moses at the end of Deuteronomy. Obviously, he didn't write that, but maybe Joshua or some other inspired person added to that. It does not really matter. Um, but predominantly by Moses. Uh, the first book, the book of Genesis, is the book of beginnings. Uh, there are two major divisions. The first 11 chapters of Genesis uh, deal with God dealing with the, the world as a whole. And then starting with the call of Abraham in chapter 12. That is a major turning point, not only in Genesis, but in the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, some have even said the whole Old Testament can be divided in two parts, Genesis 1 to 11 and then Genesis 12 through the end of the book, because from there on, God is dealing with Abraham and his descendants in the rest of the Bible. In the first 11 chapters, we have four major stories, the, the creation, the fall of man, the story of the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Uh, the creation is interesting because, uh, you know, it, 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 it makes sense that this is the beginning that God's telling us where everything came from, how it all started. He knew man was going to come later with all kinds of theories and lies and deception about where we came from and how we're here and the nature of the earth and our reality. So he put everything down in the very beginning of the Bible to tell us this is how I made everything. And he was there. The scientists who want to tell you how it happened, and they weren't there. <laughs> they didn't see it happen. They're, they're, they're inventing things uh, out of their imagination. God was there, and he gave us an accurate record of what happened. So, the rest of the book of Genesis, 12 through 50, is about the patriarchs. The patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the story of their lives. And it also adds a significant discussion of Joseph, uh, as well. Uh, the book of Exodus is about the, the, the is about it's named after the Exodus or the departure from Egypt, where God takes the people out of Egypt and he takes them to Sinai, and a good portion of the book of Exodus is at Sinai. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus, uh, the beginning of the giving of the law. And it's also repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Leviticus is various laws for Israel. Not a lot of story in Leviticus, uh, as in some of the others. It's just laws and regulations concerning the sacrifices, concerning clean and unclean animals, instructions for the priests, and how they were uh, to, to, uh, to act you know, their, in their society. Uh, laws of morality and uh, interaction between people uh, and things of that nature. 
The book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Pentateuch, is simply the journey from Sinai, because we're left here at Sinai. It picks up from there. From Sinai, going to the promised land, but not actually entering into the promised land. It takes us right to the border. And we said uh, before that um, it's kind of a picture of how Moses being the representative of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament can only take you so far. The law can only take you so far. Jesus and what he did for us on the cross actually takes us into the promised land. And so that's where Joshua picks up. Uh, the name Joshua is the, is, the, is the name Jesus in Hebrew. The reason they're different in our English is because Joshua, we translate from Hebrew to English, Yeshua, Joshua. Uh, and the, but, but in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, uh, the, the name is Iesus, where we get in English, Jesus. But they actually are the same name. So Joshua was a type of Christ. Uh, but before that, uh, Deuteronomy, the last book of Moses, uh, records three speeches that Moses gives. Uh, and it is a repeat and a revision of the law for the new generation. Because they were about to enter the land, they did not trust God, and God did not allow them to enter. And he says, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So now 40 years have passed, a new generation has come up, and these uh, younger people, they, many of them were, were very little when all the, God performed the miracles and the exodus. So now God, he is repeating the message for the new generation. Now, beginning with Joshua and going on through Esther, this next section here uh, in the light blue on the left, uh, this is the history of Israel. Uh, and these, these historical books, it's good when you study... Uh, I kind of did it backwards. I started with the prophets because I wanted to focus on that because I like prophecy. But after that, I went back to the beginning and started with uh, historical books and, and, and the Pentateuch and the historical books. But when you get this foundation of the history first, all of this stuff fits into different time periods. So when you study the historical books of the Old Testament, that gives you the story, uh, what is going on, and then at different places within the history, uh, these different men prophesied and, and, and things of that nature. So, so that's what we have from Joshua through Esther. Uh, the book of Joshua itself is about conquering the land of Canaan. Uh, various battles are there, the sun standing still, uh, Achan stealing something and everybody suffering. Uh, the first half is about conquering the land. The second half is about dividing up the land between the various tribes. The book of Judges is about a very dark time in the history of Israel. When uh, it said, we're told several times, there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I said there are some stories that are very difficult to read. Uh, some of what went on is just horrible, horrible things. But they're put there to show us this is what happens. This is man left to himself without God. The people of Israel became just like all the heathen pagan nations around them. They degenerated and we read about that in Judges. But there's a little bit of a, a glimmer of, you know, God didn't completely abandon them and, you know, as if there was no one serving God. And we see that in the story of Ruth because it takes place in the same time period. And it shows us that there were people that were faithful um, uh, during this time. God still had a people. And maybe I would say the main story or the, some of the main emphasis there is the kindness of Ruth toward Naomi and the kindness of Boaz toward Ruth. Then we get to Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And I said each of these, which are today two books, were originally one book each. 
and uh, they fit on one scroll in Hebrew, but when the Hebrew was translated into Greek, which is uh, the, what the early church used, Brother Mendoza has been asking me about, what's the Septuagint? Uh, well, that, 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 that word means 70, and supposedly it was 70 uh, Jewish scribes took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into Greek because that was the language by the time of Jesus. And so that was the Bible that the early church used. When Jesus and the apostles quoted the Bible, very often they quoted this particular Greek translation. But what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to go with, with our explanation of these books is that when it was translated from Hebrew into Greek, Hebrew has no vowels and Greek does. So the words were bigger because they have vowels in the words now. Now they no longer fit on one scroll. And so apparently this is where uh, Samuel was divided into two books. Kings and Chronicles were each divided, and today we have them as two books. But when you read them, read them as one, because in the original they were one book. This was just a matter of space and fitting on a scroll. The book of Samuel, I also said it's kind of weird that it's named that because it's not predominantly about Samuel, and it's not written by Samuel. He dies early on, but it does tell us in the beginning about Samuel, then it focuses uh, a little bit more on Saul, and then finally on David. Somebody said that Samuel tells us the story about Israel's first king and about Israel's best king, which was David. The book of Kings picks up where Samuel leaves off after David... Uh, 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 he, he passes on and his son Solomon receives the kingdom. And it tells the story of the kings from Solomon up until the Jews are taken captive into captivity in Babylon. So all of the kings after that are recorded in the book of Kings. We also uh, read about the building of the temple, which David had a heart to do, but God did not allow him to do it. So Solomon built the temple instead. Throughout Kings, we see this vacillation back and forth. Good king, bad king, over and over. The kingdom was divided into the north and the south. The north had almost no good kings. They had one that was kind of good. The south, which became Judah, which is where the word Jew comes from. They were the people of Judah. Uh, they had a good king, and then they had a bad king, and they would go back and forth. And there's a saying that actually says, as, as the king, so goes the people. When they had a good king... The people followed, there was revival, they turned back to God, they tore down the altars to Baal and the poles to Ashtoreth and all, and all this pagan stuff and they got back into the Bible and there was a time actually they, they sent people teaching Bible studies, uh, I think the priests, and sent them, look, people need to learn the word of God, they're not learning, they don't know it. And they sent the priests to all the different tribes to have little Bible schools and, and teach them the word of God. And they would do good for a time, but then... Another king would come up and he just didn't care. But their, their leader did not care about the things of God and would lead them back again into idolatry. And we see this vacillation back and forth until finally God says, enough. You're, you're going to be captives in Babylon. There's no way to escape it now. The judgment is sure. Uh, this is coming. I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar in. And he wiped out the rest. And there was nobody except for the, just a very, very small leftover people in the land. Um... And then Chronicles retells the story, but it's written at a much later time period. Uh, the beginning of, if, if you're reading through and you hit the beginning of Chronicles, a lot of people get discouraged there because like about nine chapters we have of genealogies. And to us, we don't have a lot of interest in that, so it's a little bit difficult reading, but uh, to them it, it, it had a lot more significance showing their ancestry and their history. Uh, it starts from the death of Saul until they return 
back from exile. A lot more focus on the temple and the priests in Chronicles. And like we have various, the, the, the different Gospels telling the same story from another perspective. Chronicles gives us a parallel perspective, mostly of kings, but a little bit of uh, Samuel. And then uh, Ezra and Nehemiah picks up right where Chronicles leaves off. As I said, that takes us right to the captivity. Ezra and Nehemiah is after they come back from captivity. Uh, and it's about the rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the city, and rebuilding of their lives. They lost everything. The temple was destroyed. Now they're building a second temple. And uh, it had nowhere near the glory of Solomon's temple. Solomon had a lot of money and he took time. And he built God a phenomenal, beautiful temple from you know what we read. The second one, they did the best with what they had, but it did not have the glory of the first. And so a lot of people were discouraged, and we read about that in the prophets. Um, Esther, as we said, the book of Ruth runs parallel to Joshua Judges. Uh, Esther runs parallel to Ezra Nehemiah. And as Ezra Nehemiah is focusing on coming back from captivity... And, and focusing on the land of Jerusalem, Esther is still back in the land of Persia. Persia today is modern Iran. Babylon had actually captured the people, but we read about in the book of Daniel, uh, God overthrew the kingdom of Babylon, and now Persia is in power. And in the story of Esther, God uses uh, Esther to actually save her people. She marries the king. They're going to be destroyed, and God intercedes, and they are spared. And that's probably a picture of, you know, we're all on, destined to be destroyed. We, we're, we're sin. You know, the judgment is hanging over us, and God steps in and saves us. Uh, it's a picture of salvation. So that's it for history. Then we got to wisdom and poetry. Uh, Job, through the Song of Solomon. Uh, Job basically tells us that uh, just because bad things are happening does not imply that God is punishing you. Uh, it takes place at a much earlier, some people say Job was the first book written, uh, probably sometime between Noah and Moses. And in Job, the curtain is pulled back and we see what goes on in heaven and the devil and God talking and God allowing Satan to go after and persecute Job. You say, God, why would you do that? You know, But uh, God does that for a reason. The book of Psalms, I said we just we studied that the whole month of November. Uh, 150 different songs. Oh, by the way, when you refer to the Psalms, don't say Psalms chapter 23. Okay, that's incorrect. You can say Romans chapter 3 or 4 or 5, but the book of Psalms, when we refer to the collection, they're called Psalms, plural. When we refer to one Psalm, it's not chapter, it's Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm whatever. It's just a number, the list of Psalms. So, anyway, this was Israel's songbook. About half of them were written by David. Some were written by other people, and some are anonymous. Um, but here is where we learn how to worship. As most of the other books are God speaking to us, the Psalms are man speaking to God and showing us this is how we this is how we come before God. This is how we praise Him, how we worship Him, and how we can even pray. Some of the Psalms are actually prayers. Uh, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom written mostly by Solomon, given in brief, short little sayings. It's about advice on life. Ecclesiastes is apparently by Solomon, although some contest that. It says that the author identifies himself as the preacher or teacher. Uh, he says he is a son of David, and the description of the person who wrote Ecclesiastes certainly fits Solomon. 
I mean, he had everything. He lived it all. He had, uh, you know, everything that life could offer and found out that it was all worthless. Well, I don't, we don't know about any other son of David who, who had that exact experience. So most feel that it was Solomon. What's interesting, though, if it, it was written by Solomon, uh, then this would seem to show that he repented at the end of his life and turned back to God. The book of the Song of Solomon is about romantic and physical love between a man and a woman. Uh, it may also, it's probably secondarily a metaphor of the love of God and, and or they, in the Old Testament would have been God's love to Israel, in the New Testament the love of Jesus for the church. But some people are uncomfortable with this actually being a description of passion and love and even erotic love between a man and a woman. So they just focus on the metaphor and neglect uh, the other. But uh, it, it seems hard to escape. This was the celebration of physical intimacy between Solomon and uh, his wife. Uh, then we get to the prophets. The prophets, uh, we divide into two groups, the major and the minor. Uh, the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and also Daniel. Lamentations is grouped in this category, uh, even though it's technically poetry, but it's written during this time and by Jeremiah. Uh, and these are collections of uh, sermons that uh, these men prophesied that they wrote that they said to the people Isaiah takes place in Jerusalem and he prophesies against Judah, Israel and the nations he jumps around a lot the first half of Isaiah is about judgment the second half of Isaiah starting with chapter 40 is about hope and about comfort uh, Jeremiah uh, foretells um, he's uh, at a later time than Isaiah uh, Isaiah is telling about things uh, still in the future, judgment coming. Jeremiah actually lived to see these things happen. He talked about the destruction of Babylon uh, as it actually happened. They came in. He stayed in the land. Jeremiah, I, I mentioned also before, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, these three all lived at the same time period and all experienced the uh, captivity from Babylon. The difference is where they were. Jeremiah stayed behind in Judah, Daniel and Ezekiel were taken captive, but uh, Daniel himself was in the court, actually, with, uh, he was a, an, an advisor to the king. Um, Ezekiel was taken captive, but he was not in Babylon proper, but in, in the land where they put most of the captives, and he ministered to them there. So... Uh, Jeremiah, we also get the prophecy about the coming new covenant. The book of Lamentations is simply Jeremiah crying, weeping over Jerusalem. And it is set in poetry. The book of Ezekiel, uh, the main theme, the phrase that is repeated 63 times is that you will know that I am Yahweh. God said what's going to happen. He told them in advance uh, by prophecy things that would surely come to pass. When they come to pass now, you will know that I am Yahweh because I told you in advance. That phrase is found many, many times in Ezekiel. Uh, it is about the judgment on Judah, but also after God's done judging them, he's going to judge the Gentiles around them. And then finally there will be restoration. Ezekiel does have some very difficult imagery and prophecy, some things that uh, we, uh, we still puzzle over today, exactly how it all uh, what it means and what the symbolism represents, uh, much more so than other books. Some would say Ezekiel is uh, the most difficult book to interpret the meaning of the symbols and stuff, uh, one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament. As I said, uh, the, uh, Daniel actually takes place in Babylon. Daniel has visions of the future, 
Uh, he doesn't talk about the, the, the captivity or anything like that, but about now that they're in captivity, he shows a brilliant future. Not just for, you know, one day they're going to return to Judah, but even bigger than that, the kingdom of God that is still yet future. I mean, it uh, was still yet future for them. Uh, we are now living in the kingdom since Jesus came spiritually, but we're still waiting for the other half of the kingdom, which is Jesus Christ, the king, returning and reigning with us here. So we're still looking for that. Uh, Daniel talks about the tribulation, about the Antichrist, and things of that nature. Then finally, the remaining books, uh, these were all grouped on one scroll. Uh, they're called the Book of the Twelve, although they were written at a lot of different time periods and by different people. Uh, but very, very often what we have in these prophets are judgment but hope for the future. Quickly, Hosea is about unfaithful Israel, which is exemplified by Hosea's wife, which would be unfaithful. It is the last call to repent for the northern kingdom, Israel. Remember, they were divided. The northern kingdom, which is now called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Um, the book of Joel talks about the coming day of the Lord, and it, was, it applies to both. A, a, it had a near fulfillment. Uh, that applied to them and the ultimate day of the Lord, which is still future, which is when Jesus returns in judgment. Uh, and it's, sometimes it's hard to know what applied to them and what is talking about the second coming of Christ. Very often we have that in prophecy, where the prophet tells about something, part of that prophecy applies to the people of that day and in a close situation, the near future, and then part of it is the eschaton or the end times. And sometimes things apply to both. One thing may be fulfilled then and yet still fulfilled in the future. Uh, Amos is judgment on Judah, uh, Israel and the nations. Uh, just kind of a general prophecies about uh, judgment. Uh, Obadiah, the whole book of Obadiah is about the destruction of Edom. That's what the, if you want, somebody asks you, what, what is Obadiah about? It's about the destruction of Edom. Edom is the nation that descended from Esau, and they mistreated the Jewish people, the people of Judah, uh, and God says, look, you're supposed to be brothers. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Why are you mistreating your brother nation? I'm going to judge you and punish you, and that's what Obadiah is about. Jonah, I said, is very different from the other books in that Jonah is more, really more about the person Jonah. Yes, there's the prophecy about Nineveh, but the prophecy is extremely short. Uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he says. It is more about the life of Jonah and God showing Jonah that he needs to have mercy on these people. Um, Jonah running from God and all that. Uh, Micah has been called the mini Isaiah, whereas Isaiah focused mostly on the leaders of Israel. Micah focused on the common people. And it's presented as God's lawsuit against Judah, bringing various charges or sins that they had committed. Nahum, that's what I opened with uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I, I, I said, you know, many Christians, we don't really study and learn the Bible like we should. And if someone were to ask, you know, the average uh, Christian that's been in church for years, what's the book of Nahum about? Many of them would not know. So I said, here's the answer. The book of Nahum is simply about the destruction of Nineveh. Whereas Jonah predicted the destruction, they repented, and God forgave them. A hundred years have passed, now they're sinning again, now they will be destroyed, and it is a, they are, uh, it is a celebration of the destruction of the wicked city. 
Like I said, it, it calls to mind the, 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 the movie in The Wizard of Oz where all the little guys are dancing around, the witch is dead and they're all happy. These people are singing Ding Dong, the witch is dead. That evil, horrible nation that, that persecuted everyone else, God finally got rid of them. That is justice. And we see that sometimes in the Old Testament, a, a celebration of God destroying the wicked because what God does is just and they deserve that. Habakkuk is also uh, stands out from the others in that Habakkuk is a conversation between the man Habakkuk and God. Uh, everything that Habakkuk says in the book is addressed to God. He says nothing to the people. It's about him and God talking back and forth. And uh, we said that it starts off with him saying, why don't you judge all the wickedness of these people, his own people? And God says, yes, I will judge them. I'm bringing Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to punish them. And then he says, no, that's, 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 that's no good because they're even worse than we are. And God responds by saying, yes, when I'm done using Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon as a tool, I'm going to judge them also. So don't worry about it. So that's what Habakkuk is about. Uh, Zephaniah, don't confuse Zephaniah with Zechariah. Uh, Zephaniah is short. It's only three chapters. Uh, it's about the judgment on Judah and the nations. Uh, and it's right before they're taken into captivity in the last days of Judah. Zechariah is longer. It's 14 chapters. It's after they've been in captivity and now they're back. And uh, it's to encourage them to continue rebuilding the temple. But backing up a little bit, Haggai is the first prophet after the exile. And he's telling the people, look, you're back. Your houses are really pretty. You need to focus on rebuilding God's temple. That's more important than your own houses. So he was encouraging it, and they responded well. They obeyed the call, and they, they rebuilt the temple. Uh, a couple of months after they started, Zechariah comes in, and he gives them encouragement and hope for the future. And he, it's, it's an apocalyptic book. He has dreams and, and things like that that are recorded, and a lot of strange, I mean, I don't not to disrespect the Bible or anything like that, but to us it's it's strange some of the imagery and things that are there we don't it may be hard for us to understand finally the book of malachi is a hundred years later uh the other books lead everything's going well malachi a hundred years have passed and the people are falling back into sin and and regressing once again and the book of malachi are, it records six disputes between god and israel and they're they're uh, it's told in the form of a dispute like two people talking for instance god says you have robbed me and then it says, wherein have we robbed you? You have robbed me in tithes and offering. So it's kind of uh, written as a dialogue between God and Israel. This is the last chance for them to repent. Uh, and God is silent after this for 400 years. Okay, that was a quick review on the Old Testament. New Testament. Uh, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, the major themes of Matthew are the kingdom. It is recorded 55 times, the word kingdom. Uh, the book of Matthew has five recorded sermons of Jesus. If you look through, there's like big blocks. If you have a red letter Bible, big blocks of red letters. Uh, there are five of those in the book of Matthew. And they have things like the famous Sermon on the Mount, the sending out of the Twelve, the parables of the kingdom, Matthew 13, uh, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, the book of Mark 
uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the same story, uh, very similar, but from different perspectives. Uh, many feel that Mark was written first, and that Matthew and Luke used Mark and built upon that. Um, Mark probably writes for a Roman audience because he translates uh, some of the, the expressions and, and things into their Latin equivalents, uh, whereas Matthew seems to be focused on focusing on telling the gospel to the Jews and telling them about the kingdom that they were waiting for. Mark is writing to a Gentile, predominantly Roman audience. Okay, there's no way I'm going to make it through the New Testament. Uh, we'll see how, maybe we'll just do the beginning. Sorry, guys. Um, <clears throat> oh, okay, w within the four Gospels, uh, Matthew and John were written by uh, apostles. Matthew was one of the twelve. John was one of the twelve. Mark and Luke were not one of the twelve. Uh, Mark... Uh, tradition tells us that Mark got his information from the preaching of Peter. He was Peter's assistant, and probably at times he was Peter's translator. Uh, probably he spoke Greek well, and uh, I would imagine. And whereas Greek is now the predominant language, uh, maybe Mark Peter would use Mark to translate, and then he wrote the the book of Mark in uh, Greek as well. But he got his information from the preaching of Peter. Uh, Luke, we don't really know exactly where he got the information, but he says that he searched all these things out uh, diligently and he put together this gospel in the book of Luke. Uh, whereas I said Matthew was uh, addressed to uh, apparently to the Jewish people and uh, Mark to the Romans, Luke is addressed to one person. Uh, he begins with uh, uh, most excellent Theophilus. In, in his um, opening. Uh, apparently that was a title, most excellent, because we see that same title being used several times in the book of Acts. Paul says most excellent Felix or Festus or whoever. Uh, maybe like today you would say to a judge, your honor, uh, that was a title of somebody important. So it's kind of it's kind of strange. You know, he would take all this time and write the whole gospel of Luke and the book of Acts because Luke and Acts are part one and part two of the same book. The book of Acts continues and is addressed to the same person. Um, all of this to one guy. So some have felt, though, maybe uh, if you actually look at the, the, the name Theophilus, it means lover of God. Uh, theos, the word theos is the Greek word for God. We get the word theology from that. Phileo is one of the words for love. And some have says, well, this is not actually an individual. This just means I'm writing to all of you who love God. Theophilus, Theophilus. Uh, that's a possibility as well. But uh, Luke says that he searched everything out carefully, uh, investigated all this to give a very accurate and detailed account. And we see Luke being very detailed. He was an excellent, excellent historian uh, and gave us the book of Luke and Acts. Elsewhere we read that he was also a doctor, Dr. Luke. Uh, Luke was not a Jew. Uh, he was a Gentile, and it's actually interesting that um, Luke, being a Gentile, wrote the largest portion of the New Testament of any author. Some think that Paul wrote the largest, but uh, Paul wrote the largest number of books. He wrote about 12 books, but if you just put Luke and Acts together, uh, the percentage is slightly higher than the amount of material in all of Paul's writings combined. So... 
then we have the Gospel of John. Uh, John was written by John. <laughs> the, uh, he's, he is called the beloved disciple in John chapter 21. Uh, and tradition identifies this beloved disciple as the, as the disciple John. Also, who also wrote not only the Gospel of John, but the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also apparently the book of Revelation. Although some dispute some of those things, they think maybe there were two Johns, I think the evidence favors one John, and that he wrote the Gospel, the letters, and the book of Revelation. Uh, one major reason is that, uh, the calling Jesus the Word is unique to John. It's only in John, and it is in the Gospel of John. He is called the Word. In the Epistle of First John, he is called the Word. And in Revelation, I think chapter 19, when Jesus is returning, it says, "In His name was the Word of God." So that phrase is unique to John, and it's found in the Gospel, the First Epistle, and Revelation. Um, we have some things in the Gospel of John that are not recorded. In, in the others, uh, things like the uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus and that whole thing about you must be born again, born of the water of the Spirit, that's only in John. Uh, the woman at the well, that story is only in John. Uh, what has been called the upper room discourse. Uh, scholars, whenever you have, like I said, a, a big block of, of Jesus talking, they call that a discourse. Some call it a sermon. But when you just see Jesus talking for a long time, these sections of Scripture, uh, we focus on that section. Like I said, in Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount. That's a famous discourse of Jesus. Well, in John, we have what is called the Upper Room Discourse, which is not recorded in the other Gospels. And it's John 13 through 16. It's when Jesus was with the disciples in the Upper Room and what he said to them. Uh, and that's... Four, let me see, 13, 14, 15, 16, four chapters uh, that are not uh, of, of Jesus' teaching that are not in the other places. Uh, John 3, 16, the, the, the most famous statement of the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's in John. Uh, John has some of the most amazing um, uh, statements of the deity of Christ and of the oneness of God of anywhere in the Bible uh, are found in the, some of the strongest oneness passages, we would say, as oneness Pentecostals. But it's also interesting in, in that John shows both natures and shows the humanity of Christ. He also has what, from a oneness perspective, may be some of the most difficult that we need to wrestle with and interpret because John shows the deity and the humanity. And I think it's all summed up in the opening verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. With means different. Okay, If I'm with you, I'm not you. I'm something else. But then immediately he says, and the Word was God. So right from the outset, Jesus is distinguished from the Father and identified as the Father. And that's, that's, that's the mystery. Not how many persons are in the Godhead. That was settled a long time ago. But how Jesus could be God and be distinguished from God all at the same time. That's the great mystery. And that's the tension we have in, in John, uh, mostly in John, but in just understanding uh, Jesus. You know, again, Trinitarians like to quote, you know, say that the, uh, the Trinity is a mystery. And the Bible never says Trinity, and it never says that that's a mystery. But what it does say, great uh, in, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy, Paul says, 
great is the mystery of our religion, or King James says godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. That's the mystery. How could He be a man and yet still be God outside of the Incarnation and be the fullness of God within the Incarnation at the same time? Jesus can speak and, and, and as God. We have also in the Gospel of John, Jesus 7, I am statements. In Greek, it's ego eimi. I am. And that's a reference back to the name of God in the Old Testament. When Moses said, who are you? He said, I am. That was his answer. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am. Seven times he was claiming to be God. And yet, we see he, he prayed to the Father. He asked God, if it's possible, I don't want to go to the cross. Uh, we read also outside of John, but I think it's in Luke, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor in God with man. So we have this contrast. And John captures a lot of contrast. Things are very black and white. We read about light and darkness in the beginning of John. We read about things that are of the Father and things that are of the world. In 1 John, love not the world or the things of the world. Those are all of the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Uh, the things that are of God, faith, love, and hope. Those are the things that we're supposed to love. Uh, we see contrast with those who believe and those who do not. And believe is a very strong theme. In fact, we, we, we try to figure out a lot of these books, what were they written for? John tells us these things were written so that you might believe and so that believing you may know that you have eternal life. Seeing if I had the actual reference there. Yes, here it is. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things, John recorded seven great miracles of Jesus. These things which he did are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose. And we see believing being a very strong theme in the Gospel of John. We'll do Acts and then we'll wrap it up. And maybe at a study in the future we can get to the epistles. I'm sorry, it's just... I thought I could do it. I thought I could cover the whole Bible in one Sunday morning. Who was I kidding? <laughs> so anyway, that, so that's the Gospel of John. It, it adds a very different flavor. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They have a lot of overlap and, and, and things. Um... In common, John has, has some stories that are the same. They all tell us about the crucifixion and the Passion Week, obviously, things like that. And some other stories are repeated, but uh, a lot of what is in John is, is different. Okay? Acts is part two of Luke. And he begins, uh, the former thing which I wrote to you, O most excellent Theophilus, is how Acts begins. So that's how we know that it's part two. Um... And it focuses on the spread of the gospel starting in Jerusalem, then spreading into all of Judea, which was now the land of the people of God. Like I said, the northern kingdom, Israel, when they were taken into captivity, they never came back. Only Judah came back. So that was, Judah became the new Israel. Okay, But it started in Jerusalem, the capital. In one room in Jerusalem, in the upper room, the outpouring of the Spirit, everyone speaking in tongues, and God put this symbol upon the head of each person of a tongue that was somehow like fire, 
to indicate something different about the way he is now giving his spirit in the new covenant. You can scratch your head and think about what was the significance of the tongue that appeared on their heads. Um, but it spread there, then to all of Judea, then Samaria, which, I'm sorry, the northern kingdom became known as Samaria later. Um, and the, the people that were living there were kind of mixed from some of the original Israelites, but other people that came in and uh, they were not following the true way of God. They had some elements of it, but we do see God bringing uh, the, the gospel and the truth to Samaria and then from uh, beyond that uh, to Gentile nations. And it ends with Paul in Rome as like the... Ex- Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. So the gospel started in the capital of Israel and it reached the capital of the world empire. Paul is in Rome. The gospel has... For, for their purposes and their worldview, the gospel has reached the world. And that's where uh, Acts leads us. Some of the key figures, Peter is the main guy in the first 12 chapters. Uh, Peter's the lead character. And, uh, and then from chapter 13 on, Paul becomes the focus. Um, and we see the ministry of Paul in the latter parts of the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the only place uh, where we actually see people being saved, okay? Uh, the Gospels tell us how to be saved. The letters are written to churches that are already saved and telling them, uh, correcting them and telling them how to live right and things like that. Only in the book of Acts we actually see people saved. So when we want to debate about what's necessary to be saved, we need to go to the book of Acts, guys. Don't go to Romans. Don't go down the Roman road. Uh, those people are already saved in the book of Acts we see and we see the very first message on the day of Pentecost Peter Peter preaching you need to repent you need to be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit now yes they needed to believe but they already believed at this point you know he preached this long sermon (coughs) uh, telling them you crucified the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. And by the time he had got to the end of the sermon, it says they were pricked in their hearts. He was right. I see it now. Why didn't I see it before? Jesus is the Messiah. And then they asked him, well, what do we, what, what do, we do with that? He gave the answer, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Spirit. So it, it's, it's the history book of the church, like we read about the history books of Israel over here. Uh, we got a lot more history in the Old Testament, but in Acts, uh, it's mostly in the book of Acts. Of course, we have the stories in the gospel, you know, the, the life of Jesus. But once Jesus uh, ascended into heaven and the church now moved on um, with the disciples, we read about that mostly in uh, the book of Acts. So uh, I'm going to stop there. Maybe in a future study, we'll, we'll do an overview of the uh, epistles and Revelation. But um, I just got it over my head. Any questions on anything that we've covered? Okay, well, let's stand and we will pray to be dismissed.